All right, guys. Um, as Ian just prayed, I'm excited to get in the Word with you. So we're moving ahead in a series. If you weren't here last week, I, I, I introduced the series. We're doing a series called Fruit of the Spirit. That'll, that's kind of, because the, 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 going through the Fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5, this is going to comprise the bulk of what we're going to talk about this semester. Um, I introduced this series, it's really a series on the Holy Spirit, and um, this is what we're calling it. I introduced it last week, um, and uh, oh, by the way, when we get to this part, when we go through the fruit of the Spirit, um, Riley Hambrick is right back there, one of our interns, and is Kerry Clark in this room? He's probably, yeah, there he is, he's going to help me, that's Kerry, he's also an intern in this church, just not with the college ministry. They're going to help, we're going to rotate with me some, teaching through some of these. So I'm looking forward to hearing the Lord speak through them. But this is, a, like I said, a series on the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and turn to John 14, by the way, in your Bible. John 14. Um, before we get to the fruit of the Spirit, though, I thought we might spend a few weeks just getting our bearings. Um, and and, and, and uh, get a little background on the Holy Spirit in the first place. Specifically, before we talk about displaying the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, I want to I have a good understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. And not only who He is, but then I, I think these are prerequisite to thinking rightly about the fruit. Um, who the Holy Spirit is, what does the Bible mean when it says that we have been baptized in the Holy Spirit? There's some differences of opinion on that in the Christian world. I'll, I'll tell you what you ought to believe. <laughs> and then also, what does the Bible mean, then mean when, when it commands us to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Uh, you ever thought about that? Galatians, no, excuse me, Ephesians 5.18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. There are two commands in that verse. Don't, a negative one and a positive one. Don't get drunk with wine. And the positive one, be filled with the Spirit. It is as much a sinful disobedience, disobedience to a command in Scripture, to not be filled with the Holy Spirit as it is to be drunk with wine. That's crazy. So we need to think rightly about it. We need to know what, how, how, how am I then to obey that command? If you're commanded to be filled with the Spirit, how do I obey that? What do I do? Right? We're going to talk about that. And then, when we have all those pieces in place, I think we'll be in a good position to think through the fruit of the Holy Spirit, displaying the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I think we have a good understanding of those things. Then how it is that we display the fruit of the Spirit in our lives will be much more understandable to us. And I think we'll have a better grasp on what that looks like in real life. Um, not only what those dis not only what the different aspects of the fruit look like, like what does goodness look like, what does peace look like, because by the way, the way we're going to, I've already told um, Riley and Carrie, the way we're going to approach the fruit of the Spirit is, first of all, um, the, the whole, Jesus said the Holy Spirit works in us. Jesus said in John 16, the the the, the uh, the Spirit, He will glorify me. 
For he will take of what is mine and give to you. The Spirit is in us to, glor- to magnify and glorify and bring out Jesus in us. And so when we think about the fruit of the Spirit, our first question is, what does that look like in Jesus? What did that look like in the Lord Jesus Christ? What does goodness look like in him? What does patience look like in him? Because whatever it looked like in him is what it should look like in me, the Holy Spirit. And there's a, there's, there's a, there's a culture that we live in. There's a culture, a, a current that would define those things in its own way. And we might come in here with um, our own, just because we're swimming in this stream of culture that we live in, have, a, have an idea of what um, kindness looks like or whatever. That's one of the fruit. That's a fruit aspect of the fruit. But it may not match what it looked like in Jesus Christ. And so we want to be clear on what it looks like in Christ. And so that's how we're going to um, approach these, these fruit. But we're not, not just that. Not just what does it look like. What does peace look like. But also practically and daily and moment by moment, um, what does it look like to prepare myself in such a way that those are the things that flow out of me. And so I cannot overstate how important the Holy Spirit is to your life in Jesus Christ. I don't think there will be any question about it in your mind either by the time this semester is over. Paul said in Romans that to be a Christian is to have the Holy Spirit in your life. In fact, he put it kind of negatively. He said in Romans 8, 9, he said, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Um, and in verse 16 of that same chapter, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. In verse 27 of that same chapter, that the Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of God. So, and just don't listen to the Apostle Paul. Listen to Jesus. Like I just said, Jesus said, as he was talking to his disciples in the hours right before he would be arrested and tried and crucified, knowing all that was about to happen to him, this is what he said in John 16, 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. I know I turned, told you to turn to John 14. You could slide on over to John 16 if you want to. Verse 7. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That, the phrase there that never ceases to amaze me, I don't care how many times I've read it, is that phrase, it is to your advantage that I go away. Because that's the reason that he said that that's, to, that's, that's when he would send the Holy Spirit to them. He's saying that it will actually be better for them, better, better for them, better for us to have the Holy Spirit in them than to have the physical presence of Jesus with them. I mean, that's amazing. I wonder if we really believe that. I wonder if I really believe that a lot of times. Um, Sure, Scripture does tell us to long for and love the second coming of Jesus. I mean, those who have loved His appearing, long for it. Pray for it. Peter, I'm not sure what he means by this. I'll just go ahead and say, you ask this at Theology Thursday tomorrow, got no answer for you. But he says, such and such, that we may hasten the day of his coming. I don't know how I hasten the day of his coming. 
I don't know how I speed it up. I don't know what I do, right? But it's a cool thought. It's, it's what we want to be doing because we, we long for His physical presence to come back to us. But during this time of waiting, during this in-between time, the already in the not yet, um, Jesus says we have something even better. The Holy Spirit, whom He calls the Helper. And so I want us to get to know the Holy Spirit this semester. I want to get to know Him better this semester. I want us to understand who He is. I want us to understand why Jesus was so excited to leave Him with us. What the Holy Spirit does for us and in us and through us. To do that, we're going to have to start at the beginning. And we're going to try to answer this question tonight. Who is the Holy Spirit? And we're going to look at a ridiculous amount of Scripture tonight. Go ahead and tell you. We've got to begin somewhere, so John 14 is it. Let's just begin our thoughts on God's Word tonight with just a short passage here in John 14. Verses 15 through 17. you found that place in your Bible, follow along with me as I read aloud. It's just three verses. Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Sometimes just stare at the words. Just look through them almost. Let that one... Can I just tell you, I did this the other night. Y'all should come to Sunday night church, by the way. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to keep going, but uh, I did this with the passage that Brother Al preached just this past Sunday night in Second Peter. He, here's the... Hold your place and just turn to Second Peter 1. I mean, this is a straight-up rabbit trail in the middle of the reading Scripture. But... Just let, I'm going to let just verse 11 just hit you. Second Peter 1. Like, so he, Peter has just gone through all of these, what he calls uh, these qualities that we ought to add to our faith, like virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and he talks about these qualities that ought to be present in our life and he says verses 10 and 11 therefore brothers be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure for if you practice these qualities you will never fall verse 11 for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our lord and savior jesus christ Wow, <laughs> seriously, richly provided for you an entrance. I mean, just imagine just walking up into that. Anyway, back to John. And in that same way, in the same way, verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, uh, 
this right here that we that we just read and and all of the scriptures that we're gonna we're gonna think through tonight. Every word of it is your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. And and we ask, Holy Spirit of God, would you would you please give us eyes to see the truth about you in these scriptures? Would you give us minds to understand all that you tell us here? Would you give us hearts to care? Would you give us hearts to embrace this truth? Love it. It is the most important thing, whether we recognize it as such or not. Help us to recognize it. Give us wills to obey, whatever it is you call us to do. Would you Give every one of us ears to hear and me the help that I need to teach. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. As we dive into what the Scriptures teach us about the person of the Holy Spirit, we have a lot of ground to cover. And like I said, a number of Scriptures to think about. And just FYI, if you have a, a, a ribbon in your Bible, I would say go ahead and mark this place in John 14. Um, or if you don't have a ribbon, use something. Um, we're going to... We're going to look at another uh, verse in this chapter in just a minute. But if you're, if you're taking notes, here's how I want us to think about the Holy Spirit tonight. First, we're going to think about how the Scripture teaches and testifies to His personhood. His personhood. I think this is a good thing to keep in mind. Not just because we want to confess what the Bible teaches, and the Bible says He's a person, but because it'll help us make sense later of the, of the role the Holy Spirit plays in our Christian life. He's a person. And lastly, just two points. Within, within that, we're going to think about his deity. D-E-I-T-Y, deity. He's, a, he's not only a person, he's a divine person. He is God. All right, the Christian faith, we confess that God is triune. Um, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, one, of the, one of the earliest and most foundational creeds in the history of the church is the Athanasian Creed. You ought to read that creed sometime. It's strong. But uh, this is a sampling of the Athanasian Creed. We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence, for the person of the Father is a distinct person. The person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit is still another. But the divinity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. What quality the Father has, the Son has, and the Holy Spirit has. And so it goes on, it goes on like that to confess that the Holy Spirit, along with the Father and the Son, is uncreated, is immeasurable, is eternal, almighty, God and Lord. Okay? And they say nothing in this trinity, this is just another little snippet, nothing in this trinity is before or after, meaning they are outside of time. Nothing is greater or smaller. In their entirety, the three persons are co-eternal and co-equal with each other. So in everything, as was said earlier, we must worship their trinity in their unity and their unity in their trinity. That's just a small part of that creed, but it clearly confesses the deity, not only of the Father and the Son, but of the Holy Spirit. 
one God in three persons. So let's dive in and start at the most basic of beginnings, thinking about the personhood of the Holy Spirit. I think biblically, um, the most basic affirmation you can say about the Holy Spirit is that he's a person. Um, in, in the scriptures, both the Old and New Testament, the word used for the Holy Spirit in the, in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word ruach. In the New Testament, it's the Greek word pneuma. And both, both of those words can be translated as, yeah, spirit, but it can also be translated as wind, breath. That's the same, they use the same word for all those realities. And so, uh, you might remember the story, for example, in John 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, the Pharisee. And he uses basically a play on words when he's telling Nicodemus, he must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, I don't know what you're talking about. Basically, um, he, he, said, he starts teaching about him about the... He, he equates being born again with being born of the Spirit. And he gives this example of someone who's being born of the Holy Spirit. He says, you, you, hear, you, you, you feel the wind. Basically, you feel the effects of the wind. You can't see the wind. You, you, you can see the effects of the wind blowing in the trees. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. He's using the same word for wind and spirit there. And he's saying that's how you know you can't, you can't control the Holy Spirit any more than you can control the wind, but you know the person in whom the Spirit of God has done a work, but you see the effects in their lives, just like you see the leaves blowing on the tree. But he's leaving that play on word, wind and spirit. And that might seem, lead somebody to think that the Holy Spirit is sort of like that. It's like this wind going forth from, the, from God, like this force going for him, this impersonal force. And in fact, Jehovah's Witnesses believe that. Jehovah's Witnesses are a heretical group. They're not Christian. and You, you may agree with me just because you think they're annoying, but they really are her, heretical. They are an, they're a modern-day version of a very ancient heresy, Arianism. There's nothing new under the sun. There are no new heresies. It's all been done before. But they, they describe the Holy Spirit as this, like, force because they deny the Trinity. Right? This is this in their own published words. The Holy Spirit is the active force of God. It is not a person, but it is a powerful force that God causes to emanate from himself and accomplish his holy will. I, so... The biggest problem with that, the biggest problem with that view is it just doesn't square at all with the Bible. Plainly. What it plainly says. And I want us to see for ourselves how plain it actually is. I'm going to give you three biblical reasons um, why we believe that the, the Holy Spirit is a person. And I would encourage you, by the way, to... We're going to look at a lot of scriptures. Maybe toward the end when, when I'm tired of asking you to turn, I'll stop asking you to turn and you just listen to me read it. But, for, but for, for most of this time, if you can, turn to these different passages in your Bible and look at them with your own eyes. I think you'll get more out of it if you hear me read it and you're looking at it with your own eyes. Okay? So here's the first thing. And you're young, by the way. You can do that. So... The Bible is clear. Reason number one, we believe he's a person. The Bible is clear that he, the Holy Spirit possesses 
attributes, possesses characteristics of a person. Okay? Like what? He has a mind. He has a mind. That's, a, that's, a, that's an attribute of a person. It's a characteristic of a person to have a mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Verses 10 and 11. And there the Apostle Paul writes, These things, 1 Corinthians 2, 10 and 11. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. He has a mind. He has a mind that comprehends the thoughts of God. There's a reason for that. He has a mind. Number, number two, uh, he has emotions. Turn right in your Bibles and go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And I said, he has emotions. It's true. I, I want us to put a little asterisk, footnote. When we're talking about God... I'm going to defend in, later in this talk. We don't mean it in exactly the same way for him that we mean it in us. Okay? Because my emotions are crazy. My emotions change all the time. And like, m my emotions change based on things that happen to me. You can affect my emotions. In a way, but it's not exactly the same in God. He's just, He's God. But it does mean something. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. He has, you can turn back left again, uh, He has a will. 1 Corinthians, this time chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He has a will. So we have said He has a mind, He has, an, he has emotions, He has a will. Notice when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, when you get there, notice that at the end of a long paragraph, there's a long paragraph about how each believer having different spiritual gifts in the church. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these, all these gifts, all these spiritual gifts that believers have, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who... And that's a personal pronoun. Apportions what? Apportions spiritual gifts to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit chooses the gifts that he will bestow upon you. So a wind or a breath or a mere force like the Jehovah's Witnesses believe could not rationally 
be described as having a mind or will or emotions. But the Spirit does. I mean, we have a saying that if, if, some, if something is acting crazy, like if some impersonal object is, the, the, the wind is blowing like really hard and something's just flying around in the air or something, we might say that thing has a mind of its own. But we mean that clearly, facetiously, um, not literally. The, the, and the elephant in the room at this point is that the very, ma- the mer- very main emphasis of this semester study, which is going to be the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is a clear example of the personal characteristics of the Holy Spirit. Goodness. You can't say that wind is good. It just is. Right? Holy Spirit's good. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I'll just mention this before we move on to the second reason we believe the Holy Spirit's a person. It's the fact that he's called the Holy Spirit. And the scripture uses, like I just said, personal pronouns, who and he. There was a lady years ago in, in this church, Miss Shirley Chance. And she, you wish Miss Shirley Chance was still in this church. I ain't going to lie to you. She was the, the most vocal person in this sanctuary during a sermon. She would get after it. Um, anyway, anytime she would talk about the Holy Spirit, and she talked about the Holy Spirit a lot, she would say, he, the Holy Spirit, he, the Holy Spirit. I never heard her talk about the Holy Spirit without saying, he, the Holy Spirit. To her, he was a person with her, in her. She was awesome. She's with him now. But anyway, the second, um, the Holy Spirit then, uh, you know, if he has the characteristics of a person, the second reason is he performs the actions of a person. The Holy Spirit performs the actions of a person. One is he teaches. He teaches. So you still have that marker in John 14? Turn over there. How quick was that? Gave you a heads up. John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. FYI, He literally meant this. John was a really old man when he wrote this gospel. He was a really old man when he wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, even older when he wrote Revelation. Old man. 40, maybe 50 years removed from walking around with Jesus when he wrote his gospel. How in the world did he remember all that stuff that Jesus said? The Holy Spirit brought it to He taught him all things and brought it to his remembrance. Miraculous. But he teaches. He will teach you all things. He bears witness to Jesus. If you look over one chapter in John 15, Jesus says in John 15, 26... But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Let me tell you this. I said I need to make a correction. Well, no, I don't need to make a correction. An addendum. Miss Shirley Chance did talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. He, the Holy Spirit. But who she talked about more was Jesus. And she and 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 that's that that stands to reason because when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, we're going to mention this again. The mark of being filled with the Spirit 
is not that you talk a lot about the Holy Spirit, but that you talk a lot about Jesus. Because Jesus said, what's the Holy Spirit going to do in you? He's going to bear witness about me. So the, that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. He bears witness about Jesus. The Holy Spirit leads and guides believers. Leads and guides us. If you want to, turn right, go back to Romans 8. We already looked at verse 14. Romans 8, 14 says, For all, all who are led by the Spirit are the, are, of God are the sons of God. All who are led by the Spirit. And when it says sons of God, I know, girls, you don't feel like a son. In, in the kingdom, you are. And not because you're all going to be boys one day. Can I tell you, can I tell you, why the Bible uses, and I, I it, it kind of bothers me. It's not, it kind of bothers me when um, Bible versions will smooth it out culturally for us. When Galatians will say, you're all, in, in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God. And then, and then this version will come out and say, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God true but that's not what it says and it's important why it said that do you know why it just means more in that day when paul wrote that who got the inheritance the son did there is neither jew nor greek nor male nor female slave nor free all are one in christ jesus you are all sons of god Everybody gets the inheritance in Christ. All who are led by the Spirit are the, of God are the sons of God. That's going to be w one of the big emphases this semester is what exactly does that look like? What exactly, what practically does that look like in my life on a Tuesday for the Spirit to lead me? Does it happen automatically just because I'm a Christian? Is there anything I'm supposed to do? Do I, is it something I just ask for? What? That's what we're going to talk about. And just a few verses later in Romans 8, verse 26, it tells us that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. It's an action of a person. If you want to, turn back one book to Acts chapter 13. Y'all are doing so good. Um, Acts chapter 13 we won't stay here long but like in Acts chapter 13 verse 4 says that Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the Holy Spirit on their first missionary journey the Holy Spirit sent them out why did the church in Antioch there send them out because the Holy Spirit raised them up for that person, that, that purpose, right? And moved them to do that. Sent out by the Holy Spirit. That's not something a person does. And not just, so he, we've seen that he teaches, he bears witness, he leads, he guides, he intercedes, he sends. Actions of a person. And it's not just that he does the actions of a person, but the third way we know he's a person is that he's treated as a person. He's treated as a person. How so? Turn back just a few chapters to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. 
And here is, in Acts chapter 5, here's one way that he is treated as a person. He is lied to. He's lied to. Acts chapter 5, verse 3. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? You can't even lie to your dog, really. I mean, you can, but he doesn't know it. You can't lie to the wind or a force. You can lie to the Holy Spirit. You lie to a person. Turn over a couple of chapters to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. Stephen, before he was stoned to death, first Christian martyr. In Acts 7 verse 51. By the way, I haven't mentioned this in a while, so it needs to be mentioned again. I am an advocate of memorizing Scripture and memorizing long passages of Scripture. Like, everybody knows Romans 6.23, but not everybody knows what 6.22 says. And sometimes 6.22 makes 23 make a lot more sense. So I'm a fan of, I mean, if you want to go, if you want to go all out, memorize a whole book. You can do it. It just takes a while. But at the very least, memorize a whole chapter. And a good one a good one to memorize is Acts chapter 7. The reason is Stephen was the man and he, full of the Holy Spirit, basically, in summary form, told the story of the whole Old Testament before he got stoned to death. So if you memorized and worked really hard and day after day after day and worked at memorizing Acts chapter 7, you would not only have a whole chapter in the Bible of the Bible in your head, but one that taught you about the Old Testament. And that's important to understand the New Testament. But he says in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, he told the Jewish leaders that they always resist the Holy Spirit. And he tells them, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. And I'll go ahead and say, this also hints at the Holy Spirit's eternity because it, the phrase, as your fathers did, so do you. Holy Spirit was there for all of it. You can resist him. The Holy Spirit, too, in that same, in this same vein, it says, uh, you can just stay here in Acts this time. But in Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, you can jot that down if you want to. Jesus says that the Holy Spirit could be blasphemed. And then Jesus talks about blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's interesting because not only does it illustrate that the Holy Spirit is a person. Because it wouldn't make any sense to say you blaspheme the tree or some impersonal anything. You blaspheme a person. But, you, but it also indicates the Holy Spirit is a divine person. Because you can't, you can't blaspheme me. I can't blaspheme you. I can say something bad about you. I can slander you. I can put you down, but I'm not, I, can't, I have no capability of blaspheming you. Why? Because you're not God. And you can't blaspheme me because I'm not God. But we can blas when we slander God, that's called blasphemy. And you can blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And that brings us to the other fundamental truth about the Holy Spirit that we'll think about tonight. And that's not only the mere fact of his personhood, but also of his deity. Now, at this point, if you want to keep turning with me, that's great. 
If you want to just check, take notes, that's great too. Where do we see the idea of the deity of the Holy Spirit in Scripture? Well, most clearly, when the Holy Spirit is just plainly called God. And you're, if you're still in Acts, you look back at Acts chapter 5 and that story of Ananias and Sapphira who, who uh, lied to the, the apostles about the offering they made. Notice very clearly that um, what, what was said when they lied about When Peter said, he, notice how he says in verse 3 and 4. In verse 3, I'm not going to read the whole verse, but he says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Now notice what he says at the end of verse 4. You have not lied to men, but to God. When you lied to the Holy Spirit, you lied to God. That's pretty plain. What does a Jehovah's Witness do with that? Well, there's more. You don't have to turn, but jot down the reference of 1 Corinthians 3.16. 1 Corinthians 3.16. Paul teaches that the church is God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. In chapter 3, if the, if the Bible had been translated into Southern English, it, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, it would have said, y'all are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and God's spirit dwells in y'all. And in chapter 6, it would have switched to singular. You also, you personally, Christian, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit dwells in you. But who dwells in the temple? God. The Holy Spirit's dwelling in you. And when you, when you read uh, carefully and just pay attention to what you're reading, you see examples like Acts 28, verses 25 to 27. If you're still in Acts, you might as well turn over there. Acts 28, verses 25 to 27. We're nearing conclusion, guys. Later week, this, this one's going to feel a little bit more academic than later weeks, I assure you of that. But this is necessary. It's necessary to get, get our footing. Acts 28, verses 25 to 27, Paul says, middle of that verse, the Holy Spirit was right. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers, through the prophet Isaiah, and then he quotes Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 through 10. We're not going to do it, but if you flip back to Isaiah 6, verses 8 through 10, you would see clearly that God is the speaker. God is the speaker. And Paul says here, oh, that was the Holy Spirit speaking. He's God. Think also about the different times when the Holy Spirit is mentioned in passages along with the Father and the Son. We call these triadic passages, like 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, presumably the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Or think about the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19. We're to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. One name. Name is singular. Not the names of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The name, the one name. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
Over and over again, Scripture just plainly identifies the Holy Spirit as God by referring to Him as God. But just like the Spirit possesses attributes and, 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 and characteristics of a person, He possesses attributes and characteristics of God. Like, He's eternal. Hebrew, drop down, Hebrews 9.14. The Spirit is eternal. There we read, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The eternal spirit. We already saw that hinted at in an earlier passage. He's literally called the eternal spirit right there. 1 Corinthians 2.10. He's omniscient. Omniscience is spelled like omniscience, by the way. 1 Corinthians 2.10. These things, these things, God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Get you some of that. That's awesome. Even the depths of God. Psalm 139, 7 through 10. He is omnipresent. Where shall I go from your Spirit where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall, by your spirit, lead me, and by your right hand, hold me. Those things are only true of God, true of the Spirit. So just like the Holy Spirit um, does things that only a person can do, the Holy Spirit does things that only God can do. As in creation itself. According to Genesis 1-2, the Spirit, was, Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. What's another thing that the Spirit does that only God can do? He can regenerate a spiritually dead person. Regenerate. Cause them to be born again. Make us alive spiritually. That is Jesus' point to Nicodemus in John 3. I can't do that for you. You can't do that for me. I can't do that for myself. Only God can do that. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. That's something that only God can do. We see that in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord. By the way, how do, how do we... In August of 2021, how do we in this room right now, how do we behold the glory of the Lord? 2 Corinthians 3.18 begins by saying, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That's where I'm going with that. How do we behold the glory of the Lord? Where is He? Where do we see the Lord? This is why Protestant churches, at least, are designed the way they are with something that looks like this in the middle of the room, in the front and center middle of the room. And why somebody stands here and is supposed to read and teach from this book. This is because when you hear it, that's where you behold the glory of the Lord. Where do you see Jesus? In these pages. 
And as we, as we behold it, the whole, the, we, we are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And it comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired the Scriptures. 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Earlier we noted that the Holy Spirit has a will and decides things just like a person does. Don't you... Don't... don't. He decides things that only God can decide. Like the distribution of spiritual gifts in the church. 1 Corinthians 12. Or the appointment of missionaries on journeys. The scriptures could not be clearer. We're going to wind down with this. The Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force like the wind or however you might compare that. Um, but he's also not just a person. He's, a, he's the divine person of God himself. Together with the Father and the Son. One God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. And as such, he is to be worshipped as God. And listened to in his word. And obeyed and trusted and believed and loved and thanked and looked to for help and comfort in our time of need. And I hope you're beginning to see how Jesus could legitimately say that it is to our advantage if he goes away so that he could send this helper to us. Jesus was all these things. And yet when he was here the first time, he was, in his humanity, he was bound by space and time. The, his disciples weren't always with Jesus. Sometimes they were like, where is Jesus? Never like that with the Holy Spirit. Never, never. The Holy Spirit, on the other hand, never leaves us. It's not just with us, but in us. God himself to will and to work in us for his good pleasure as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling.